House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome to a brand new episode of Capital Ideas. If you're new here, or for that matter, if you're not, this is the podcast where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. In the last few episodes, we've heard about police reform and climate change and second chances. We've heard about digital privacy and election security and the state's new Juneteenth holiday. The one you're about to hear is a little different. Our guest is Representative Milan Tai, who just wrapped up her third year working for the people of Washington's 41st Legislative District. That's Bellevue, Mercer Island, Newcastle, Factoria, a little bit of Sammamish, and a slice of North Issaquah. All of them good places on the east side of Lake Washington. Milan graduated from Federal Way High School and the University of Washington, became a pharmacist, was a PTA leader, and served as director of the Bellevue School Board. And she did all those things after coming to the United States as a refugee from her native Vietnam at age 15. In 2018, she became the first refugee elected to serve in the state house and maybe the first person to practice what Mi Lin calls compassionate legislating. That's what we'll hear about today. You're going to enjoy this one, so stick around. Representative Milan Tai, it is always a real blast to talk to you, and I'm glad we get to do it today for a listening audience. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on uh, Capital Ideas. It's uh, always it's always fun chatting with you, Dan, and uh, I too get to learn every single time I chat with you. Well, it's real flattering. And today, what I want to do is talk to you about something that we've never had a podcast about which is the concept of compassionate legislating. Uh, this is, is a term that a lot of people might think of as an oxymoron, but it is, I think, something that defines the way you approach your job. Tell me about that. Yes. Um, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about the, the, the very concept of compassionate legislating. I think it's, it's really forming as I started working in this road uh, now, finishing my uh, my third session. Prior to that, before being a state representative, I was mostly being influenced by the road of being a mother. I often say that we change when we have children. The capacity to love another human being who for a number of years seems to be completely dependent on you and really at the mercy of your love and compassion. And prior to having children, I am a practiced um, Zen Buddhist. And so I meditate quite a bit about the ideas of compassion, which including uh, letting go letting go of a bad that was done to you, letting go of good that you have received, letting go of, um, of attachment 
And in, in terms of concept, it's easy to say, but in terms of practice, this was really difficult. So when I had children, I once again reevaluate and revisit that concept of how could I be able to love my children deeply, allowing them to depend on me pretty much 100%. And of course, they are children. They will make mistakes. They will make me cry from time to time. How do I let go? And then coming into the role of a state representative, I have learned that there's no such things that you do that will get or earn 100% support from your constituent. You're lucky if 51% like what you do. <laughs> and then you try to defend yeah. your decisions with the other 49%. At the same time, whichever vote that I chose and however the policy that being passed, it's impact so many individuals. I, I want to be really mindful also, it seems to be a direct comparison of, of my role as a mother to my children and my role as a state representative to, to my constituents. It, it's not a direct it's just the thinking, for the lack of a better word, is a sense of responsibilities that I carried in my work. And so I felt that the best way for me to being able to carry on the job as a mother to my children is to continue practicing or attempt to practice uh, the concept of compassion, understanding that they work really hard and in the at the end of a quarter, they get a B instead of an A. There's so many circumstances in the place. And, and I've seen them work. I've seen them commit. I cannot possibly push any further. And, and bringing that kind of, of sentiment into my world in any particular legislations, some wonderful legislative uh, proposal being passed and some don't. So, so the sense of compassion not only apply to those who's doing this work, but the sense of compassion had to apply to myself. I need to be compassionate to myself and recognize that I put my everything into that work. And even if it didn't come out um, successfully passing a particular legislations and being able to continue engaging actively with those who either didn't see the the uh, the directions uh, of the legislations or allow myself to learn from those who oppose. And so I think that is where the, the idea of compassion legislation coming in, in place. This is very different, Mi Lin. It's definitely not something that you hear about every day. I want to talk about some of the bills that you have worked on. And I think that the most noteworthy bill from the 2021 session would be the Working Families Tax Exemption. This is a big deal. It is a big deal. It, 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 it was funny because it, without the sense of practicing compassion, I would not have allowed myself to, to fully celebrate the amazing impact of this legislation. You know, first and foremost, I recognize my own greed. A lot of the time we said, if we do good, however we define doing good, 
So in this particular legislation, recognizing the upside-down tax structure of Washington state, we continuously asking the people who make the least income to pay the most into our tax structure. The tax exemptions that passed the session is almost too too little. <laughs> In, in in my opinion, we have data that share that showed us many of our families and individuals only about $400 away from an emergency situation that put them into crisis, into homelessness. Um, the legislation passed is between a $300 to for an individual to $1,200 for family with three dependents. I mean, Dan, if, if, if we think about that, we, we didn't legislate based on data. I wanted to do more. We, we, we passed an exemption, which is the right thing to do. But did we do it according to data and, and, and in fact, at the amount of, of, of tax exemption or tax credit back to the people and to families who needed these uh, these cash in their pockets, um, meaningful. Some will argue it is, for me, like I stated, I recognize my own greed. <laughs> I, I couldn't sleep because I felt like, well, if we give people a sip of water, why not a snack to satisfy their, their, their hunger? Um, so that they can keep carrying on, so that they can build on that hope, so that they, we can we can give them the energy to move forward, right? I have to allow myself to celebrate these steps, recognizing that working family tax credit has been in in the book as a policy for 13 years, and many advocates have have done the work prior to that being passed and sitting in the book. And now it's not only fully funded, but it will sit in our budget in perpetuity. So that is from a very individual perspective. And when I look out into a, the impact for, for our community building, how we want to make sure that communities, wherever they are, not only survive, but thrive, and that take us from a, a place where we simply live versus we live for something. Uh, we progress. We build capacity for our next generations. And we, so I feel that we need to be in that thriving space for us to be hopeful. And I think not until we have that can we practice compassion fully. The concept in terms of Western vocabulary we heard a lot lately is the term self-care. And I think compassionate self-care move us into a, a step further that um, that was something I, I, I reflect upon many times and continue to was my grandfather gardened uh, back in this little province in Vietnam. It's really small. It's not like it's not a lot of space, but every single inches he, he grew something, some vegetable. 
Here, each time I go out and buy a bag of rice, I usually buy anywhere between 25 pounds or 50 pounds. In Vietnam, a country that I think at this point is the second in the world um, to export rice. So we as a family could only purchase a few cups of rice at the time. And as a little kid, I've learned from my grandparents that the garden that my granddad grew is available to his community all the time. Anyone who needs anything that was in that garden can come in and get them. Even if they plucked everything, just leave the roots so they can regrow. Uh, and my grandmother would say, if we purchase two cups of rice that day and someone need the one cup, we are willing to share. And I think that is what it meant by self-care with compassion. As long as we have food on our table, it's perfectly okay to share the extra. I think that is how we can start acknowledging the disparities in multiple systems within our states when it comes to policies, right? We know that there are disparity in healthcare delivery and services. We know there are disparity in opportunities for educations and achieving full potential for our children. We know that there are disparities when it comes to opportunity to, to work, to attain housing, right? The disparities are so much within our system due to many factors. But when we use the idea of compassionate legislations into our policies, the decision of which policy to introduce, the decision of which policies to support, and the decisions of how we implement policy passed with fidelities, all came from a sense of compassion. It would just help us be better at what we do. You're part of a caucus of 57 people, the majority caucus in the State House of Representatives. You're the vice chair of the House Democratic Caucus. Do you feel like you have seen a ripple effect, any kind of transmitting these ideas into other people's approach to legislation? I think that question is better answered by my colleague. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know. But I do know is that being in this space, it gave me the opportunity to, to engage in conversation. I believe that when I opened to be influenced by others, it also gave me a window to influence others. And I think because of the nature of the work, my colleagues are more in tune with that capacity of openness to be influenced and to, to influence others that give rooms and windows, right, uh, for, for these ideas to flow through. Whether it changed people or not, I think some takes time and is faster. I mean, for me, Dan, I, um, I grew up as a child uh, by default in a family uh, practicing Buddhism. 
I did not buy into the idea until 24, 25 years of age. And I think those critical thinkings and those self-learning, self-acknowledging stay with individual longer than just the fact of trending. What is trending? I think those are not foundational values. And when it becomes certain ideas or ideals, in my case, practicing compassion became that foundational values uh, within myself. I believe that every word I say, every thought I think, and then every action I take, hopefully it, it reflects that deep foundational values and, and how it shifts people who come in in contact with me. But I don't, I don't set out and say, my way is the right way. If you don't do my way, you are not a nice person. I don't believe in that either. I feel like a better person when I hang around with you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I think it's go both ways, Dan. Thank you. At this point, is there anything that we need to talk about? Anything I haven't brought up? or anything that you haven't brought up that you would like to get out here in this particular conversation. We're going to have more in the future, but for right now, for this podcast, anything else? I think, I think we can talk a little bit about simple act of kindness, um, that in the same line of thought. I think as we as a state prepare ourselves to get out of this pandemic together, keeping in mind checking ourselves, doing some reflections, whether it's daily or weekly, I would really like to ask us to consider that, to reflect on the decisions, whether to wear mask or not wearing mask, how it impact us as individual and how it impact others that are seen or unseen. How would that kind of put that against the values of each of us? Because we... I believe that we as individuals think of ourselves a good person. I don't think any of us would walk out on the street and say, or proudly declare, I'm a bad person, right? Um, we think we're a good person. We think we're thoughtful. We think that we care. We care for our freedom. We care for the freedom to make decisions that is good for um, us as individuals, for our families, I only ask that we just think a little deeper in how our decisions and our actions would impact those we have not met, the stories that we have not heard, the people who depend on our decisions, depend on the kindness of a complete stranger, and then we choose to act. I, I would probably go back to the analogy of being a mom a lot of time, being a mother, especially when my children were young, I couldn't get to go to the movie anytime I want. I couldn't wear certain clothes um, when, when I go to the beach. Uh, it's like you change your everything, your outlook in life, your habits, your desire. Um, at the same time, I wouldn't know how my children feel until they're older, until they could articulate um, their feelings. 
um, and they share um, generously with me whether they appreciate the act or not appreciating the act. I remember teaching my kids math when they was in elementary, and it was not until middle school could they tell me that, Mom, you are a terrible teacher. <laughs> you make us feel terrible every time you try to teach us, but we know deep down your intention was good. And so those stories stays with me. The intentions and the impacts comes hands in hands. So that is where I think when, when our intention is good, we need to take another step in asking who would that intention impact positively and who would that intentions impact negatively. If we don't know, then maybe we, we would take a half step back, reevaluate before making decisions on our action. And I think as we get out of this pandemic together, practicing a little kindness, if you, for one reason or another, think that compassion is a little too much, uh, then at the very least, consider being kind. Being kind to yourself, being kind to your family, being kind to your neighbors, being kind to communities, and the returns is immeasurable. I think this is a great way to end this because... You've given people, I think, a whole lot of things to chew on. So rather than stretch this out here, I will just ask the listeners to reflect on what you've said, because this has been a really thought-provoking conversation, and I am grateful to have been part of it. Representative Mi Lin Tai from the 41st Legislative District, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dan, and thank you to the audience who take time to listen. I promised you this was going to be a good one, and I didn't lie. But they're all good ones, so why not subscribe to Capital Ideas wherever you go to discover worthwhile podcasts. With every episode, you'll learn more about your state government and the people who work for you in Olympia. And it really is your state government. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you, your family, your business, your community, for everyone. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.